We're coming home late on a Friday night from a devotional down in Olathe at the home of Alex Flores. We had decided to join the Hispanic group for a devotional. And we're coming across the bridge that's across from downtown airport. And suddenly we realize that Kansas City is being invaded by a group of mutant Martians. And they overwhelm the car that I'm driving and take control of the vehicle with my wife and my children on board. And they kick me to the curb outside the car. And so I run down the ramp to the downtown airport. And while the Martians are ravaging my vehicle and getting ready to push it off the bridge, I rip off my shirt and my trousers. And there I stand in my synthetic suit that has the S on the chest. And you know this is a story because I said phone booth, right? But I run out of the phone booth and I lay out and I put my arms in the air and I begin to take off and fly toward the car. While the orchestra kicks up the rendition of the Superman song. And then all of a sudden, the Superman song is interrupted with a very loud version of Mendeza's Good Morning. What? My dream is busted. I was about to be super Christian dad, husband, minister and defeat the invading aliens. But my dream was interrupted. I was no longer going to be a hero. And I resided to be a zero. Because there I lay in bed and all I've done is woke up to another Monday morning. Sometimes life's that way, isn't it? Our dreams are broken. Our dreams are crashed. We wake up to reality. And it's difficult. And, you know, sometimes it's so difficult that it launches us into a period of mourning and grief and brokenness. And what I want to talk about this morning is that that may not be all that bad. See what Jesus has to say about it. This morning, we'll study a bit from Matthew, the fifth chapter, continuation of the introduction of sermon on the Sermon on the Mount. And I've got three questions I want to leave you with today as you go from this place. Again, these questions are just designed to maybe give you something to talk about in your small group, around your lunch table, around your dinner table. Um, Use them as you see fit, but please use them, even if it's just in your own quiet time. Question number one is, what are some ways you've avoid being seen as broken, grieving or in mourning? And think about that question a little bit, especially the word avoid. What are some ways you've avoided that? Number two, when your life, uh, when in your life did you experience mourning? Can you identify and describe any blessing that came from that period of mourning or grief? And number three, if you're unable to see any blessing that came from that moment, how might you embrace that pain to allow room for blessing? See, in Matthew five, verses one through four, Jesus says this. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and began to teach them the Beatitudes. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about what poor in spirit meant last week. And then he says this. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
So I'm guessing if he didn't get an amen out of the blessed or the poor in spirit, he certainly didn't get an amen out of those who mourn will be blessed. This is not an amening sermon right now because they're still sorting through what Jesus means in these statements that are kind of upside down. You see, to understand this, we we really need to understand the dream busters of life and what they do to us and then what the outcome of that is. You know, some some dream busters that are kind of common to our life would be things like divorce. Things that prematurely uh, end relationships. Accidents and calls from the hospital. These are all things that kind of wake us up, right? Spousal affairs or perhaps the loss of a job. Ernest Hemingway was he was uh, in the process of a conversation and the person he was talking with bet him that he couldn't take six words and create a meaningful story, a story that would dig deep into people's emotions. So Hemingway took the bet and here's what he wrote with six words. Consider how this could potentially be a dream breaker. Here were here was Hemingway's story for sale. Baby shoes never worn. You know, that's a dream crasher for some people. It's a life changer. It's a story that could drive people into mourning, into sadness, into grief. What would what would your story be if you had six words? Maybe here's some I thought of. Here's some that the book that I was reading suggested as well. There's been a terrible accident. Six pretty strong words that create a story. I'm leaving. The marriage is over. Your position is no longer needed. This one's for you guys. I just want to be friends. And <laughs> the girls are smiling. The cancer isn't responding to treatment. You're not able to conceive. Here's a rose off the casket. These are all. These all stem from experiences that I've worked with people that that I've met with people that you've worked and met with people when you're sitting at their feet and they've entered into mourning and grief. These are real things. They're real things that hurt. That wreck our dreams and crash what we what we perceive as the future and send us into mourning. But what if Jesus was right? And I think again, In the same way, when Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, I think he's right when he says, blessed is those that mourn. He means something there that's important for us to see if he's right. What does that mean for you and I? You know, Jesus invites us to look at this phrase as this at this phase of life through kingdom lenses. How many of you ever heard of beer goggles? Anybody? All you, if you did, you Christians aren't going to admit it, are you? Beer goggles are what they use to train sometimes and do other things for people so they can kind of simulate what it's like to have drank too much and then try to drive or, or, or function at all. It creates a different vision. I don't mean to be 
disrespectful, but this is sort of what Jesus is doing here. He's trying to create in us a different vision in how we look at mourning. How we look at grief and sorrow. He gives us Jesus goggles, goggles that we look for to see it differently, to see it spiritually. You know, if the first beatitude challenged these people, can you imagine what this one did in a society where people died prematurely? Where death was 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 handed out like playing cards to, to people in their families. How many people as, as Jesus preaches on this mountainside, how many people do you think had lost loved ones? Recently in this culture. So when he says blessed are the ones that mourn, they can connect with the mourning piece. They can connect with the grieving piece. It makes sense to them, but they're still questioning, what do I do with it? You know, it would be like. In today's world, Jesus saying, you know, it's a blessing to be a young widow raising a small child. Or four small children. That's how that's how upside down what Jesus is saying here. It's a blessing to lose your job and count down the days to losing your house. That's what Jesus is asking these people to react to is a similar statement. It's a blessing to be a recovering alcoholic with almost everything gone. It's a blessing to lose your husband to a woman he met on a business trip. It's a blessing to watch a parent do a slow fade into the fog of Alzheimer's. Now, I ask you this, if I left it blank, what would your blessing in mourning and grief be? What would yours say? For those of you who know me, mine might say it's a blessing to have lost Two parents within 13 months of each other. Or it might say it was a blessing to have lost a client to suicide. It's a blessing to watch your children go through things that you can't save them from. These are some things that my line might say. What would your line say? And here's why I would say it was a blessing is in those moments I grew closer to God and deeper in my relationship with God. I had to because there was no other reaction I could muster. There was nothing I could do on my own to make myself feel better. I grew closer to God's people and I grew closer to Jesus. And that's where I found the blessing. And that's what Jesus is telling this crowd. Because one, he knows they're going to go through it. All of us go through mourning and grief. And in this mourning and grief, he knows that they're going to need a place to turn. The word mourn here is interesting. It's a Greek word and it's used. It's the strongest word for mourning in the Greek that's used here. It's the kind of mourning that you can't hide it. It's an uncontrollable emotional state that brings unrestrainable tears. I told this story in the first service. I remember climbing on the airplane the Thursday that I found out about my father's death. And I had to fly out that morning, that afternoon after finding out early that morning. And I sat on the plane and there was a lady that that sat right next to me. And, and I, Brothers and sisters, I don't have the way to say it other than she she reeked of cigar smoke. Her husband must have smoked cigars or something. And cigar smoke something that just kind of burns my nostrils. As I sat there, she asked me where I was going and what I was doing. And I explained to her and I was real apprehensive because I was very emotional. I've been crying all morning. 
And I just I didn't want to be 30,000 feet in the air and having this emotional breakdown. You got this big fat guy where you can't put him anywhere on the airplane and he's crying and bellowing. And I didn't want to do that. But I, I, I mustered up the energy and I told her what happened and where I was going. And I, I could tell I was getting emotional because you know how your chin starts, you know, shaking like that. And she placed her hand on mine and she slapped the back of my hand. And she said, she said, son, she said, Jesus is going to see you through this. It was in that moment. Through a tobacco laden. Cigar smoking woman, I guess. That God reminded me who he was. And I don't make light of that. What a gift. What a gift to be given. See, when you come to the end of your dreams, you often come to the end of yourself. And that's the best place for God to find you and for you to find him. <clears throat> There's a song the teenagers sing. And I, I, I was joking in the first service. I told Jerome, I was, I was thinking about having him sing it with us today. It's you have turned my morning into dancing. Right. How many you teens know that song? Well, I didn't want him to sing it because I was afraid you start dancing. Then you get you in trouble and me in trouble. Because we don't dance. As long as nobody's not looking. But the song's entitled, You Have Turned Your Morning Into Dancing. Well, I always thought that morning was just, you know, early in the morning. I'm excited about Jesus, so I get up out of bed and I dance. But then as I read the title, I realized it's not spelled M-O-R-N-I-N-G. It's M-O-U-R. And it's connected to Scripture. It's connected to Psalm 30. And to understand this, you know, I I think of stories like the story of Job. If you turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 1, and I'm going to paraphrase this chapter, but as you read through it, I want you to be able to to kind of see Job chapter 1 builds the the characteristics of this man. He's he's kind of like perfect, man. He's got all these kids, and he's got property, and he's got... the, the. He's got livestock and he's got everything that a guy high on the hog would have in this culture. Job has everything. And what we see in these first two chapters is one by one, they're taken away and he's stripped of them. He wakes up from dream after dream with nothing. And by the end, Job's very, very broken, fragile he is he has been totally totally broken down by satan and you know it's interesting his wife's perspective look at job 2 and verse 9 all you wives out there you see your husband's going through some rough time here's probably not the response his wife said to him are you still maintaining your integrity just curse god and die Thanks, honey. But Job remains faithful. He battles. He fights and he fights. And look at Job 42 in verse 5. Job 42 in verse 5. Look at what Job says. He says, my ears had heard you, heard of you, but now my eyes I've seen you. I, church, I don't know how this works for you. I, all I can do is 
and part of what you do as a preacher is you share experiences. But for me, in my mourning, in my grief, what I found is those are the times that I come into contact with God to the point that I can see him. And it's not just something I've heard read to me or preached to me. It's not just something that I've experienced through a song or through some, you know, distant experience. It's something that becomes much more real. It's a woman sitting next to me on an airplane who ultimately falls asleep on my shoulder just because I guess my shoulder is where someone's head should be. That I can smell her. And I can remember the feel of her hand. And I can remember the calmness of her voice and her words. My ears have heard of you, but now my eyes have seen, says Job. See, when we seek God in pain, loss, and heartache, we find blessing. And that's what Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount. Paul reiterates this. Look at 2 Corinthians 1, 3-5. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, And the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. When in mourning and grief, why turn to God so that we can find his comfort? And when we find his comfort, what do we do with it? We pass it on. Because see, at that point that we find God, the relationship Vertically is perfect. And then the relationship horizontally becomes one of sharing and caring and loving others. There's a sign that says, and it became pretty popular, at least when I was a young person, no pain, no gain. I think life's a lot like that. Up until in life, I started going through pain. There were a whole bunch of things about life I didn't understand. You know, I didn't understand what it meant to grieve and to be really frightened until I had cancer. I didn't understand what it meant to mourn, really, until I lost my parents. I didn't know what it meant to grieve until I experienced losing someone that I had grown to be very fond of and that I was, I was passionate about trying to help and to love. None of those things became real until I experienced it. And so when Jesus preaches this sermon, he's talking about things that people will experience, real things that will cause pain. There's there's things in our culture. There's a gentleman by the name of Jeff Goldblatt. He's the founder of what's called Get Over It Day. It's on the calendar. It's March 9th every year. Get Over It Day. And essentially, if you go to the website, it gives you just a number of ways that you can really work that day to get over whatever it is you're grieving or, or dealing with. It, it, it's, it's a bunch of diversions. Maybe they work for some. Maybe they don't. What I would tell you is this. My get over it day has been about a year and a half long. And there's still songs that cause me to mourn and to grieve. And what I've learned is the get over it part of it's when I get on my knees And I allow God to remind me of who I belong to and where I'm striving to get.
and who loves me more than anything or anybody in the world ever has. It's in that place that I find comfort. You know, David was someone in Psalm 32 that experienced mourning. And and, and there's another process of mourning I think we need to talk about here in these last few minutes. And that's the mourning of sin. Now you follow me on this. Sin causes spiritual what? Death. Right? So there's every reason to mourn and to grieve sin. There's every reason to mourn and to grieve our sin. And there's every reason to mourn and to grieve for the sin that's in the world around us. As Christians, that should be a reaction that we have to sin. Is to mourn and to grieve. Why? Because what have we learned about mourning and grieving? It brings us into the presence, the deepest presence of God. So it's, it's a reaction that as Christians we should develop. Now, here's the thing. The Bible, in its, in its writing, has a whole bunch of words used to describe sin. And in our language, our English language, we, ha- we used to have and used to use a bunch of words that were synonyms for sin. Here's some. Here's some words that we can throw out there. Iniquity. Transgressions. Remember the old sermons where, now y'all, you have your transgressions. Right? We don't use that word much. Turpitude. I had to look that one up. Depravity. Peccancy. That was another fun one. The New Testament Greek had 33 different words it used to describe or for the word sin. Now, just a few years ago, in our own language, the Oxford Dictionary tried to remove the word sin. They actually proposed to remove the word sin. It was a word that no longer needed to be used in the English language. And there were some suggestions of words that we might replace it with. The first one suggestion was mistake. Let's replace sin with mistake. So I would get up as a preacher and say, now, brothers and sisters, we've all made mistakes. Right? But does that does that really explain what you're dealing with in sin? Does that bring a mournful state of mind, a repentive state of mind or an unfortunate choice was another suggestion? Here was my favorite. My favorite one was boo boo. They suggested let's replace the word sin with boo boo. See, church, we've we all commit spiritual boo boos. Might use that one from now on. You know, as a preacher and a teacher, we're challenged with this in our preaching. You may not think so, but we are. Because oftentimes when a preacher gets up and a preacher will preach a hardcore sermon on sin and the way sin is interacting in Christians' lives, and if you get even that close to being personal, you'll get the responses. Well, I don't want to be motivated by guilt. I don't, you know, that, that, you got really close to stepping on my toes. And sometimes our response to that is, doggone, I meant to stomp all over him. Because we need to be taught sin. Think about this for just a moment. Augustine, St. Augustine wrote in his confessions, my sin was all the more incurable because I did not think myself a sinner. 
as a preacher, as a teacher of the word, I don't want to leave anybody in a sinful nature. My goal as an evangelist is to lead them to salvation through Jesus Christ. But for them to understand that they need Jesus, for them to understand that they need saved, we have to be able to see what sin does to us. And the death that it causes, you can't not preach it. You can't throw that word away. It's too critical in the process of conviction. David wrote this in Psalm 32. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 32, verses 1 through 5. David said this, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Brothers and sisters, when we come to the point of mourning and grieving our sinful nature and the things we do sinfully, that builds in us the desire to reconnect with God. And in most cases, it's called conviction. And when we become convicted that we have sin in our lives and we can identify it, we don't get trapped in that as long as we seek God. And as long as we allow God to meet us at that most vulnerable moment. James says it like this, and I'll I'll close this morning with this thought. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded. Grieve, mourn, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. And what this says is it's a process like this. And I'll try to just illustrate the best I can. We live life at this level of height, right? You know, and, 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 and this, isn't, this isn't down here in the dumps, but most of our lives are, are, are right about here. And what this is saying in Scripture is that if, if we get past ourselves and we come less about us and more about him, there's going to come a period in our conviction that we're going to go, go down in the dumps because we're going to look at ourselves and say, you know what? I'm a sinner. I have sinned. I've sinned against God. I've sinned perhaps against brothers and sisters in Christ. I've sinned against my friends in the community. I've sinned and I've got this sin in my life. But it's at this place then that God lifts us up well beyond the point we were ever at when we were doing it on our own. To the highest place. And that's where mourning truly becomes dancing. That's where mourning truly becomes joy. That's the point at where God has lifted us up to the highest place. And when Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount, that's what he's talking about when he talks about the blessing that will be received by those who mourn. The blessing that that will be received by those who grieve and understand that there is a blessing in our sorrow 
and in our pain. Brothers and sisters, um, we will all experience life. I could interview every one of you and you could share a story of sorrow, of grief, of loss. Thank God that in that moment as Christians, we have him. He's ready and he's waiting. Please come while we stand soon.